Second Peter chapter two. I'll try to uh, advance here. So we'll pick it up in. Uh, actually, for for a little bit of context, I want to pick it up in verse ten. The kind of what we finished last week. Uh, we'll read those first two verses uh, and and then jump into it. Uh, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh of the lust of, of unclean in the in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. And then verse eleven. Whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. And then verse 12, but these, and so I'm going to stop there because these is really what's talking about the rest of, of, uh, of this time. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the chance to get in the word. We just ask that you bless our time. Uh, just make it abundantly clear what you'd have each one of us learn out of the, uh, out of the passage today. Help us to apply it to our lives, to be better ministers, uh, to be better children. Uh, sons of God, that we can uh, glorify you. Uh, we love you so much and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, but these as natural brute beasts. And so we're really going to start uh, this kind of the first half of this lesson. And again, half is probably in air quotes because we'll spend more time on the first half or first section than the second. Uh, but this, uh, this, this section here, again, I included this for really for... for uh, the online folks, but this is their description. These these natural brute beasts, which for some reason is a tongue twister for me. Natural brute beasts, um, made to be taken and destroyed. Um, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. And so, what we see here is that they're limited in understanding because of being caught in their own sin, their own nature, right? And and these natural brute beasts. So brute, um, brutish, if you look up, one of the, the I guess I'll, I'll, I'll reference it as, a, as an important concept in Bible study, is I, I would suggest you get um, on your web browser, or at least in your favorites, the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. So the term, the terms that we use today, especially if you study a King James Bible, may not apply or they've become just different, right? Uh, you know, words seem to be changing meaning. Um, silence evidently is violence. So now silence is violence. And, and so, uh, you know, if you go all the way back into the 1600s, uh, at least from 1600 to 1800, a lot of words didn't change. So again, Webster's 1828. But according to, to that, brutish is insensible, stupid, unfeeling, savage, ferocious, brutal, gross, carnal, bestial, ignorant, uncivilized, untaught. These, these concepts are what would naturally flow out of natural beasts. Okay, we are beasts at at our core. Now we're 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 men and women, so we're we're above that level. But just at in the carnal man, in our carnal nature, right? When we're caught in our own sin, sans Jesus, sans salvation, prior to our salvation or absent our salvation, we are made to be taken and destroyed. Speak evil of the things that we don't understand. 
and utterly would perish in our own corruption. So we're talking about people here. We're not talking about um, we're not talking about the these these angels and that like. We're we're talking about people who are influenced, right? And so look at Jeremiah 10. Jeremiah 10 verse 8 says, But they are altogether brutish and foolish. They're, the stock is a doctrine of vanities. So people who act out of their flesh, people who act out of the na- their natural state, right? They're going to be brutish and foolish. And that's that's a it's really important to know to know that, and it's important to exercise. I know that, or I believe that we all have differing levels of discernment, right? I believe Michelle is way more discerning at people about people than I am. Okay, that's not necessarily a good or bad thing. She's just I feel like she's got more of a gift of discernment than I do when it comes to dealing with people. And I have been, there's been, I'll say countless times, not to imply that there's been, you know, hundreds, just I haven't counted them, where she has come to me and said, I'm not sure about this person. I'm a little apprehensive about that. Uh, maybe it's a relationship in one of our boys' lives, a friend or a, a family member, an extended family member, or someone at a, in a ministry or, or someone that, that joins up to a ministry. And she's very discerning about those things. And she's almost always right. And I'll say almost because I don't want her to get a big head, right? <laughs> so, But she's much more discerning. But I think we all should exercise our discernment. When we start seeing people acting foolish, when we start, and I'm not talking like freshman in high school, junior high foolish, like there's, there's kid foolish, and then there's grown-up fools, and they will say things that coming out of their mouth are simply foolish, and you know they're foolish because of, of your, your even basic knowledge of scripture, just, uh, just sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. When they're brutish and foolish, the, their doctrine is vanity. It's all about now. It's all about the, the temporary. But look at Jude 10, 110. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. So one of the signs that these people will, will tip, their, their tells, if you will, not that you're playing poker with them, but the tell that they have in their interaction is they blast things they don't understand. So be careful that you don't do that, first of all, right? But that is a definitive tell of a brutish individual is if they don't understand it, it's stupid. I remember I went to school with this guy uh, when I was in college. And um, if if it didn't come from his world, if he didn't understand it fully, if he didn't think of it or whatever, it was stupid. It was just stupid. He couldn't wrap his... I mean, I think maybe Saturday Night Live or somebody did a, 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 a shtick around, if it's not German, it's, it's, it's junk, right? Or stupid, I don't remember. You know, it's like, it, if they don't understand it, it's stupid. That's what they, they... They will speak evil of things that they don't understand. And so you, be careful that you don't speak evil of things you don't understand. But what they know naturally as brute, brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. So literally what will come out of them is is flesh that will just naturally flow out because that's what they know. That's so two two things. They'll blast things they don't understand or they'll just talk about the flesh. They'll talk about the things that that seemingly make sense. So so that's kind of the first first description is they're limited in their understanding. 
The next, if we look at verse 13, they shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime, which I think is just very interesting timing here uh, relative to scripture, that there's rioting at night, but there's also rioting in the daytime, right? Spots are they and blemishes sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. While they seem to be engaging you in the, all the right ways, they literally take joy in doing their own people dirty. And, and so I, I have some friends or colleagues, I, probably is a better term, colleagues that I work with that live in Minneapolis. And they are absolutely beside themselves because of the tax rate increase that's being levied on them to fix all the things that were allowed to happen. Dis- destruction. I mean, and it's there's a lot of zeros behind them, at least in aggregate, right? And so this, these people that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime, they're literally okay with their own stuff or their their people their 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 associate stuff being destroyed. Collateral damage is not that big of a deal. Look, um, look at this in in First Peter four four, wherein they think it strange that ye not that ye run not with them to the same excess of rioting, speaking evil of you. Literally, I could have t- typed silence as violence. They literally think you're wrong because you're not rioting with them. I mean, how relevant is Second Peter, mm-hmm. Psalm fifty five, uh, twelve. Uh, through 14 for it was not an enemy that reproached me right because it's they do this while they feast with you it was not an enemy that reproached me then could I have borne it because I know what enemies will do neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me then I would have hid myself from him but it was thou a man mine equal my guide my acquaintance we took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company some of the worst injuries, spiritual injuries I've, I've had have been from men that I considered friends. That I, that I ministered with. That because they're the, the darts that they cast, they knew my, my weaknesses and they played on those weaknesses and they did the biggest amount of damage because of our proximity. Because spots are they, or they are in blemish, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Be very, very careful who you allow in to that level of intimacy. Now, I say that we have to be transparent. We have to be open, not just as a fellowship, not just as a church, but as Christian believers. But just be careful how far you let people in when they're showing signs of this brutish beast mentality, okay? You don't need to let those folks in until there's evidence of their salvation, until there's, there's time. Time is an amazing thing. I, I, I do invest, uh, did, I don't do many anymore, many anymore, but did a lot of investigations at, uh, at my workplace. And one of the things that, you know, I learned pretty early on in my investigative, uh, you know, experience was that during an investigation, the clean get cleaner and the dirty get dirtier. It almost always happens. It's almost a, a, like a, a law out there. The, the people that are dirty will they'll start to manipulate things and they'll try to make things better but in reality they're just showing themselves who they are and the clean folks are like hey whatever happens and you know evidence starts coming up that you know that they weren't involved 
just be very mindful of this, okay? Again, I'm talking about people, and I'm not talking about people that are genuinely trying. I'm talking about people that are genuinely not. They're literally trying to get you to riot in the daytime, okay? So they literally take joy in doing their own people dirty. The next concept, their description, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. Look at this, beguiling unstable souls. So literally the sheep looking, or I'm sorry, the wolf looking for the sheep, the ones on the herd or on the outside of the herd. And heart, they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. I mean, they literally pounce on the weakest, right? So they desire to damage the weak. They desire to damage the weak. Ephesians 2, 3 says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, right? So, so we all have this tendency, but look at the verse before it, Ephesians 2, 2, right? Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, right? So we, ha we, were, we were like this. We should be able to identify these people, right? We should, we should look out for the weak in our herd and watch people pounce. I, I've, I've never, again, I've never ceased to be amazed at, I see this more with younger, when, when we ministered with younger folks, but, you know, you've probably heard it taught, whether it's in a discipleship context here or a, a baptism context. When someone makes a decision to follow Christ, what's one of the first things, one of the most common attacks that will come up after that is the boyfriend or girlfriend. Whether it's the one they're trying to get rid of or it's the new person that just swept them off their feet, right? Those individuals literally are pouncing on unstable souls, Watch those folks. And I'm not maybe going to go as far as saying mark them, but be very, very mindful of them. These folks have tells. You just have to be looking out for it. And you can't, you can't just say, oh, they were just, it was a moment of weakness for them, or oh, it was this or that. Like, you really have to be mindful. You really have to be mindful of these folks that, that work like this. Mark 9.22, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, right? There's uh, Matthew, Mark, um, and Luke all have the, I think it's Luke, ha have these. It is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea than to literally go after the child, unstable, weak, young, immature soul. That's serious business. It's serious business. And we have a responsibility to watch for that. We have a responsibility to watch for that. Next, we see in, in 2 Peter uh, 15, uh, or 2, 15 and 16, which have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, and who was, you know, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumbass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Right. So they enjoy the fruit of unrighteousness. They enjoy the fruit, and I put that as a contrast to loving the wages of unrighteousness, because the wages of unrighteousness. I mean, you know, every two weeks I get paid. I hope you know you get paid on some some frequency. I hope you're not working for no paycheck, right? Uh, for your for your job, but. 
the wages is literally what I get. It's like the fruit of my labor, right? There, that it's that context that I want to, the contrast that I want to show, or comparison really that I want to show. So the fruit of unrighteousness, they literally like the the trouble that is com that comes up. There are some people I I won't. But I could list some people in my own family, both bi biological and blood, who fall into this category where they kind of like to stir the pot. They kind of like the fruits of unrighteousness. They kind of like the fact that, you know, when they leave a room, it's disheveled and it's people are arguing. They literally get joy from that. I, I mean, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, a, a little bit later, but but this is, these are almost like the bullies. This, but these are more like the spiritual, you know, pot stirrers, right? Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by wrong, that uses his neighbor's service without wages and giveth him not for his work. I mean, a, a few weeks ago we prayed in this church on a Tuesday night. There was a decent number of folks from the from the Spanish ministry who had literally been. I mean, this verse happened to them. They, they worked and they then were not given wages. Woe unto that person that did that to them. 2 Thessalonians 2.12 That they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I don't know about you, but when I partake in unrighteousness, you know, there's different things. Sometimes I get a pit in my stomach. Sometimes it's a lot of, of guilt. Sometimes it's a lot of, you know, conviction, and I do realize those are different. Uh, sometimes I get very, um, I don't know if nervous is the right term, but I'll just use nervous. You know, like when, I have, when I've done something wrong and I realize it, the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes on me, like I don't want to go back there, you know, Mr. Miyagi School of Best uh, Self-Defense, right? That's for de defense for punch is no be there, right? Right? I mean, it's definitively the thing you don't want to do. But these folks, they learn to live in unrighteousness. They learn to like it. They learn to like, I mean, there, there are some people, I, I'm quite certain every one of you has somebody in mind, or, or if you thought about it, has somebody in mind that literally likes this. And if they go some period of time without causing turmoil in a family or in their circle of friends, it's, something's wrong with them. Like, they're unsettled. They literally live, they get their, their high off of this. Uh, they literally love the pleasure and unrighteousness. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. And then... They seem to be surprised when their when their life is in shambles, and when the car accident happens, or the the significant issue in the family, uh, the 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 death of a loved one, or uh, you know the the big event. Well, I just don't understand why God does this to me. Excuse me, like you have literally been investing everything you have in this unrighteousness, and now you're mad at God because He gave you what you've been investing in. Like wow. Okay, right? So they literally enjoy the fruit of unrighteousness until some, some point in the future. The next, they're wells without water. Clouds that are carried with a tempest to whom the midst of, mist of darkness is reserved forever. They're unprofitable and temporary. A well without water is a hole in the ground. 
I mean, you know, I don't, it's just a hole in the ground, a well without water. So Hosea 6, 4 says, O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goddess, or your, I'm sorry, your goodness is as a morning cloud, as the early dew, it goeth away. It's temporary. It's like, you know, in the, in the book of James, right? The vapor, it's just temporary. And Jude, these are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, so it's that same concept, right? The proximity, people close to you. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. And I think it's interesting that Jude and, and Second Peter, really Peter, have a lot of similar language. Clouds are they without water. Clouds are they without water. Carried about the winds, trees whose fruit withereth, they have no they're not profitable. Without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Like literally, there's no value in them at all. There's no value in them at all. So they're unprofitable and temporary. That brings us to verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. So they intentionally deceive. They literally love the deception. They literally intend to deceive. In Psalm uh, 52, 1 through 3, Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. Thy tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good and lying rather than to speak righteous, righteousness. Selah. And Jude 1.16, continuing on the, from our previous passage, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. So these, all these are tells if they intentionally deceive. If you catch a person, look, I mean, I would be, I would be a liar to stand up in here to stand up and say I've never told a lie, right? And there's quote white lies, as we as we like to call them, right? Where we're where we're lying for somebody else's benefit. At least that's the justification we have, right? I'm sure every one of us in here has told a lie at some point in our life. That's one thing. But there has been times where I've told lies to intentionally deceive. And the one that I specifically remember is I, to I lied to my mom about where I was going and who I was hanging out with. And I got caught. And that was very different than saying I would be home at 9, but knowing I was going to be home at 9.30 or 10. Like I'm not justifying it, but it wasn't like that. It was like a full-blown cover-my-tracks I'm lying to you because I don't want you to know what I'm doing and who I'm with because I know better than you, right? That was kind of the... And that, I, when I got caught, I mean, it was devastating to me, right? When someone is intentionally trying to deceive you and that comes to light, again, be very, very careful because that is that that moves them beyond the category of maybe not knowing what to say so they filled the void with a with a something that was a half truth or something again I'm not justifying that but I'm talking about those who intentionally deceive there I mean I hope you're seeing the picture of the the person that's being painted here and then last within their description they promise them liberty 
and again, I think very relevant to today's context, they promise them liberty. They themselves are servants of corruption for whom a man is overcome of the same he is brought into bondage. So literally, some of these folks are fighting an effort, and I'm saying some of these folks right now are fighting an effort, whether it's the, the racial injustices, right? Or whether it's the pandemic stuff, you know, stuff, uh, you know, I just saw that they were trying, that, that a whole host of bikers convened on Gettysburg yesterday because some person played them, trolled them on the on social media and said they were going to burn a bunch of flags and deface a bunch of uh, monuments and stuff. So all these bikers and, and militia, far-right folks, descended on Gettysburg to, quote, protect it, right? All of these folks that are fighting for their agenda... They literally could be fighting for a false freedom. I mean, I really appreciate Kenny's articles, uh, the last two that he's written, because he looks beyond the last breath. I mean, how bad would it be is if this church fought for all the right things, racial equality, you know, homelessness, you know, eliminating homelessness, eliminating hunger, stopping human trafficking and we let those folks die and go to hell. Like, <laughs> you know? I mean, literally, that's like giving somebody that's hungry a cracker. I mean, we can, we're, 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 just, we're just doing very little in the context of the, the bigger problem, right? So these fight for a false freedom. Look at the, these two passes in, passages in Galatians. 2, 4, and 5, 1, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, and, be, and, because, and that because of false brethren um, unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us unto bondage. There are literally people out there that think you're doing it wrong, and they want to bring you under the bondage. Maybe it's of a certain doctrine. They want to bring you under the bondage of guilt. I mean, literally, you know, there's people who talk about, you know, reparations, slavery reparations, and, and that sort of thing. I refuse to be brought under that. And I, irrespective of the tax implications and the financial implications, I did not make that decision. You are not going to put that guilt on me. I am a child of God. My sin has been forgiven. Like, I am not bearing the weight of that. I'm just refusing to do that. Now, if if the government decides we need to go there to make some things right and to, to invest in some infrastructure, whatever, so be it. I trust the Lord uh, that he's in that. But I refuse to let people take what they perceive as a problem and now force me to be under bondage. I refuse. I don't let people at work... Take, you know, what's the, the saying? Maybe you've heard it, right? And, uh, you know, pr bad planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part, right? And maybe you've heard some version of that, but that's the version that bounces around our business. If you have been bad and you have not planned well, now my, that doesn't make an emergency on my part. Like, I'll do my best to help you, but I refuse to let people... I don't always do I don't always execute on this, but I refuse to let people bring me under bondage. Like I'm not going to I'm just not going to let it happen. Uh, Galatians 5 later in that stand there fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. 
Like, I can only take those positions of not allowing bondage to come on me because of Christ. And my and ultimately my indebtedness to Christ, right? And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Literally, the book of Galatians is really focused on that. And anybody that doctrinally wants to hang something around your neck and say, you need to feel guilty about this, or you need to be this way or that way, under an auspice um, under the auspices of guilt and heaviness, they're a spiritual bully. And I, I am a spiritual authority kind of guy. I believe in a spiritual authority. I believe that, that Sam is given special, um, uh, special, uh, 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 I'm trying to think of the right word, but special perspective on how to run this ministry that I don't have. Literally, that I, that I will never have unless the Lord did something crazy and put me in his shoes, right? And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that would be good at all. Uh, I'm just saying that the position, the man in that position gets a special, I don't want to call it special dispensation because that starts getting a little weird, but they get special blessings from the Lord about how to, to oversee. I believe the Lord gives me special blessings and insight about how to run this fellowship that ultimately he's not going to give you. And it's a responsibility I have that you don't have. That's not like I'm the man. Like, I have to bear the weight of that. But I am going to be in this freedom because that freedom comes from Christ. Hope that makes sense. So the last thing, this is the second half. So I told you it wasn't going to be two equal halves. But point number two, their dilemma. Look at verse 20 to 22. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than, after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned uh, to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. So I want to spend just a couple of moments here on this dilemma, okay? These are saved individuals. I, again, refuse to allow this one passage to undermine the context of eternal security. You may have, have experienced someone who uses this in this passage in the context that somehow Christ's sacrifice is not sufficient and that you can go back and you can lose your salvation. That is not what's talking about here. These are saved individuals. It says, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, like, or Jesus Christ. Literally, he puts both contexts there, right? To make sure that we know these are saved folks. After they have escaped, if they get entangled again or, or, or overcome again, their latter end will be worse than their beginning. So literally, what he's saying is their entanglement in these sins will be worse than what it was like before they were saved. At least people that are just lost, they're going to act out their lostness. But in some cases, they're trying to do right. They're seeking, you know, I mean, heck, a lot of lost people do orphanages. A lot of lost people do a lot of good things, right? But he's saying that if you're saved 
and then go back, your latter end, and we're not talking eternity latter end, we're just talking their life, their latter end, the, this entanglement that he's talking about, this being overcome, is worse than their lostness. Because it would have been better not, not to have, for them to have been saved, or not to have been saved, but to know the way of righteousness. Michelle and I talk about this, that we, we're both to a point in our Christian walk where there's no going back. Like if we screw up, it's the end is going to be worse for us than maybe if we hadn't been saved. Because if we hadn't been saved, I'd probably live a, a very, quote, normal American life and die and go to hell. Like, I don't think I would have murdered anyone. I probably wouldn't be a wife beater, a child abuser, or those types of things, right? Like, I wouldn't have been that guy. But if I go back now, it's going to be bad. Because even though I might have been saved so as by fire, if I would have known the way of righteousness and then go back on it, I will then despise righteousness. Because now I have something to compare it to. I'm going to go back on that. And that's the thing that's, that, that they'll learn to hate it. They'll learn to hate the righteousness that they had. And maybe you've met somebody like this. Maybe you know someone like this who has been involved enough in their, in their walk. They've been close enough with the Lord and they've turned their back on Him that now they don't just kind of don't know about God or they're not sure if God's for them or not. They actually hate him. They actually hate him. And there are some of the strongest, you know, LGBTQ folks out there, some of the strongest um, um, atheists out there are folks who were saved. And I, they're still saved, but they were saved at some point in their life. They tasted the way of righteousness, but now they hate it. And their latter end, not their eternity, but their latter end of their life is worse than the beginning because they've tasted it and now they don't want it. And they become these folks. And so I, I was talking with Michelle about this and I was really honestly kind of struggling with the passage. And she shared a great passage with me that, that really resonated. And I didn't tell her later yesterday that, I, that I'm going to even jump on this. But in 2 Samuel 13... You may remember the story that Amnon, um, and it was Tamar, right? Tamar, he, his sister, right? He loves his sister as a, as a sister, but he's also sexually attracted to her, and he, he forces himself on her, and he, and he rapes her. And after that, it looks, and after that, then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred wherewith he had hated her was greater than the love where he had loved her. And she didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> he literally hated her worse than if he would have not engaged her. And that's the best illustration. And Amnon said in her, rise be gone. That is literally the angle of an atheist who's tasted the way of righteousness and now cannot stand anyone to be righteous. They literally say, be gone. Wipe away from the face of the earth. I don't want to see you. I don't want to engage with you. Take down the symbol. Take down the thing. You're doing bad, whatever, right? That is literally the result of these kinds of folks. So I know it's been a little heavy, and I apologize, I guess, for that. The scripture is what the scripture is. 
He's telling us to beware of these folks because at the end of the day, if we're not, we can end up in some pretty bad situations here. And, and the reality is there's going to be some folks that, that, that just turn their back on the Lord. And we need to pray for them, but we need to be watchful. These are not the angels. These are brutish beasts. These brutish beasts are the ones that we need to be mindful of. You've seen the, 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 the description and their dilemma. It's been laid out, I hope, I hope, I really hope, pretty plainly. When you see folks act this way in your interactions with them, be very, very careful. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the chance to gather today. Uh, we thank you for the relevance of Second uh, Peter to the struggles that we deal with today. I see these folks on the news. I see them, uh, see, see interviews with them on social media. I, I see quotes from them. I understand that there are brutish, natural brutish beasts out there. And uh, just help us to be mindful, to be spiritually mindful. Not to, not to cower because of that. That is not the conclusion of this story. Uh, but certainly not to trust them, not to, to hope in their false liberty or to, uh, to, to follow them in any way. But Lord, to help us be mindful so that we can approach them with a biblical uh, perspective. We do hope that those folks get saved. Uh, if they're not saved, we pray that uh, for ministry opportunity and the conviction of the, the Holy Spirit in their lives. But Lord, when and if some of them turn away, Lord, help us to keep them at arm's distance. Help us to see them as wolves and help us to deal with them accordingly. Just ask that you be with us as we leave this place. Um, we either go to service or, or head out. Uh, Lord, just, just guide us in truth and righteousness and help us to be honoring and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen.